You're listening to Just Asking, where we discuss the subject that everyone wants to talk about without really knowing how to talk about it. Why do we human beings, who are obviously so sexual, have such a difficult time talking about managing this intimate part of our lives? We talk about managing our money, we manage our careers, our diets, and even our stock portfolios. Yet when it comes right down to it, we really don't know how to talk about managing our sexuality. And certainly, we don't know how to talk about doing it intelligently. So that's exactly what we talk about on this show. Welcome to Just Asking, a safe place where we talk about human sexuality. I'm Stephen Ng, and in my decades of working with people who have sexual problems, I've learned that we can all manage our sexuality better, more intelligently. What's up today, Jackie? How are you? Oh, I'm well. I'm well. Good. And uh, I understand you've been talking to your friends. I have been talking to my friends. It's interesting since I started this um, program with you, how people come to me with their questions for you. So um, we've been talking to my girlfriends about when you start a new relationship, how much do you share and when do you share it? Great question. As usual, you always come up with these great questions. They have very smart friends. Uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something so many people don't even pause to think through. And, and I think because we, a lot of us are in a rush to get that inner emptiness of ours met, you know, by finding someone, anyone to fill that space. But generally by about the time we've had enough failures in our life where we've accumulated a history we're not altogether pleased with, we start slowing down a bit and thinking if we could do this better, that might be a really good idea. You know, uh, well, I was thinking about some of my friends and what they've gone through and uh, they have reported to me that they've been getting this barrage of interviews where they sit down for the first time with someone new and it's a first date and about an hour of avid questioning takes place and he's feeling like things are going pretty well and then he says so hey you want to get together again next week and she says oh no no I, I could never be happy with somebody like you uh, she has all she needs. Right? Yeah, she got all, all the information she needs right there. Yeah, she's done. And that has a very chilling effect. I mean, you go through one or two of those conversations. And and I think it's it's defeating for both people. Obviously, for the guy in this little story, it's defeating because he doesn't feel like he had a fair chance. And it certainly wasn't um, uh, sharing mutually. It was all an interview of him. But on the other hand, I think it's self-defeating for the interviewer to come out of a bad relationship that failed or, or maybe a series of bad relationships uh, where they experienced some exquisite pain and then to develop a shopping list from there. So taking a story from my own life, I remember being in a relationship for a long time with someone who on a scale of one to 10, they were uh, in terms of affection and how much the affection they liked outside of uh, sex itself, they were about a one or a two, and I typically run at about an eight or a nine, and uh, we spent a long time trying to deal with 
that discrepancy in our compatibility or our lack of compatibility. And uh, sure as you can, you can imagine, I came out of that relationship going into the next relationships, interviewing with that in mind, because I sure didn't want to make that uh, mistake again. And the problem with that approach that I think so many of us use is that we're limited by our experience uh, and, the, and the pain of the past to figure out one variable, maybe two, maybe three at the most usually at a time, when actually how many variables does it take to make a human being? Well, a lot. I mean, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands. And, and it's the same way. So in contrast with uh, my friend who got interviewed and then dissed, uh, again, from my own personal life, I remember one of the one of the failures of the past being um, never being able to comfortably socialize with uh, my partner. And I really wanted to be able to do that. And for me, a lot of that had to do with outdoor recreation. So I did a lot of interviewing, uh, looking for women. You know, you start off as a guy, I start off with, yeah, I want to find her attractive. And of course, that has to be somewhat mutual. And of course, potential for falling in love. But I want to be sure to make uh, I want to make sure to ascertain as to whether or not she's into backpacking. Because if she's not into nature and backpacking and hiking, it's probably not going to work out. Well, the fallacy of that approach <laughs> was made very evident in the most accidental way. I got a business call from a woman who was uh, in sales in another state. And we ended up uh, having a brief conversation, but even as brief as it was and as businesslike as it was, I found myself oddly intrigued by her voice of all things. And then a week went by and she called me again with a follow-up marketing call. And that became part of a pattern of regular phone calling because she was really working me to sell me on something. But little by little, we started having a more, you know, personal details would creep out in our lives. And it turned out that we were both single and we were... Uh, we had uh, we were both parents, and and there was a suspicious absence of no other person being mentioned, and so it appeared eventually that we could find out we were single. Well, that woman has uh, been my wife for the last 22 years, and she has never gone on a hike with me or backpacked. She's totally fine with my doing that, and we do socialize together, but the point of the story being... I come out of my life experience with certain ideas in my head, but those that knowledge is very limited compared to the infinity of possible choices out there. And I was incapable of imagining how wonderful a person might be and yet not fulfill my, my stereotype notion of what I needed. And so, you know, for me, the first big step for all of us coming out of our pain and our failure is embracing an attitude of humility that we clearly have proven we do not know what is good for us. And to be okay with that and then to be open to whatever the universe is bringing because the next wonderful person who might make me happy for many decades of my life and maybe grow old with me and die happily together, that person might be something completely different than what I ever expected him or her to be so but 
that's not to avoid your question. Your question was how much to share and how soon and all of that. I think if, if I'm feeling, I think the takeaway from, if you hear nothing else from this podcast, I think the takeaway would be that intimacy, really being able to safely share our lives with each other, doesn't start when we become sexually active. Intimacy starts from hello, my name is. Because we want to make that conversation so safe that we both feel relaxed and comfortable sharing who we are. And when I say both, I mean a mutual sharing of what it is we're both looking for and who we both are so that we can together experience whether or not we can fit together or not. And I think to do that successfully, I don't put out my hand and say, hi, I'm Steve. I just got out of prison for murder and I'm single. Uh, you, you down for that? No, you want to, I think we all want to be able to say something uh, a little more discreet and to, if I can use a noun for a verb like we do in English all the time, if I can ladder up my disclosures little by little, starting at the very uh, basement of disclosing, and then like my favorite color is, or by the way, I happen to be a Virgo or an Aries or Sagittarius, and then to be able to slowly um, work up noticing whether or not those disclosures, disclosures are mutual or not. Because if they're not mutual, uh, intimacy is not really happening. If, like right now I'm doing all the talking, but imagine being on a date where you have to listen to somebody like me talking for an hour about himself. I have been. Oh my God, <laughs> you poor thing. <laughs> and I've talked to a lot of people who uh, have had that experience, men and women. And there's that country song uh, where the guy is singing, it's always me, it's always talking about I and me and what I'm doing. And, and I, think, I think it's important to understand that conversation itself from the very beginning can be intimate. In other words, it can be a part of safely sharing our lives together with one another. If you and I, for example, we meet at a barbecue quite by chance and We've talked for two whole minutes. And then I lean over and I say, hey, have you, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, that may be an okay question in some circles, but at the initial part of, of getting to know a stranger, that question becomes kind of creepy. The risk is that if we talk about very serious things like my failed marriage or um, something else, like, like your intimate spiritual journey, uh, the risk is that we have an illusion of intimacy, that we haven't actually done the footwork to create legitimately. So there's a feeling of connection, and we've all had that feeling. Uh, we've had that feeling with people. In fact, I had a client years ago who he would introduce himself to women on a first encounter, like at the park, hi, my name is Steve. And then he's, you don't want to date somebody like me. And, uh, or you don't even want to be talking to somebody like me. You seem like a really nice girl. And he, and they would always say, well, what do you mean? And he would explain how he just got out of prison after 20 years for multiple sexual assaults. And they would say, well, I would never judge you for that. And within five minutes, 
um, they're having what seems like a real connection and within 30 minutes they're in the parking lot having sex. And that's not actual intimacy. It, it, it is an illusion of intimacy, but intimacy is sharing our lives safely with one another. And they have shared a snapshot of their lives with each other. Well, and it sounds like with your um, this example, he's actually using that as a test that's exactly right. For these women to because, see. That's exactly right. It's very astute for you to say that because normal women will say, well, yes, it's been a pleasure meeting you uh, and uh, best of luck as they turn and walk away. But there are a number of women who, if I could say this, like, like a number of men who have no sense of boundaries or personal safety. And as the old saying goes, uh, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Right. And they get involved only to find themselves within months uh, wishing they hadn't gone there. So that's, that's, I mean, I'm just very, I just think we need to all work at creating real intimacy rather than creating a paper mache illusion. So, absolutely. And so I have, um, I have some specific questions that I promised I would ask you. So one of the, the questions I want to ask you is, are there some things that you don't ever have to share? Whoa. Like, like give me an example. Like if you... Like I'm post-op, pansexual post-op. I'm guessing you have to share that, right? I don't see how you cannot if your relationship is going to keep going into a deeper and deeper right. level. I don't see how that's possible. But say that you um, you cheated on your last spouse, last spouse um, that you were, you were the cause you know, of your marriage ending. And is that the kind of thing that you have to share with your next relationship? And obviously, when do you share that? Yeah, and if so, when? <laughs> on a first date? You know? <laughs> that would be awful, wouldn't it? Well, and like I told you, I, I went on a date, and this, and I think part of your it, the interview thing is, is it's the whole Match.com thing. You know, you go, you don't go on a date, you go on an interview and people do go with a list of questions. And I went on a Match.com interview where somebody just started peppering me and it was obvious. Well, and he told me his last wife had cheated on him, super paranoid, super angry. And so he was just like, you know, light over my head, asking me all these questions. Giving me the third degree. Right. And I'm, you know, we're not having this conversation because I don't even know you. But the question is, you know, if it's with somebody you actually want to be in a relationship with, why would you not ask that? Well, well, why wouldn't you tell that? Yes, and especially if once asked, how do you then fail to disclose and now I'm lying as I'm trying to create a successful, safe space for us to have a relationship? It's a, it's a conundrum, isn't it? So for me, I think so many of us forget what the whole purpose of dating is. I mean, besides it being an, uh, an opportunity to get to know somebody better, it's primarily meant to be a fun experience. So if it's feeling like a police interrogation, uh, that's not really fun anymore. And I think we need to step away from that. But having said that, just because we're making small talk, you know, things like, well, so where were you born? Where do you grow up? That kind of stuff. Um, small talk by itself only seems inconsequential because we're actually learning a great deal about each other. We're learning 
are you friendly or not? Um, do you have a sense of humor or not? Um, is my sense of humor compatible with yours? In other words, are you laughing at my jokes and my attempts to be funny? Um, are you intelligent or not? Are, are you open-minded or not? Are you really interested in meeting people? Are you emotionally needy? So we don't have to be disclosing hard facts that would be available to, say, the FBI if they were checking us. Um, but all of these other very important bits of information are coming out anyway. And I've asked hundreds of people specifically about this question. If you met somebody and you learned that they had committed adultery in their previous marriage, would you ever want to uh, date such a person? And the, the, it depends when you ask the question, because if I said, I have this lady I'd really like to introduce you to, she's had five divorces and she's cheated in three of those marriages. Uh, most guys will say, I'll take a pass. Right. On the other hand, if you allow us to have the pleasure of learning about each other at our own speed, and there's a perfectly good reason why the marriages went the way that they did. And I'm also learning that you have really grown and learned a lot from your failures. Well, that's very encouraging. And as the date unfolds and future dates unfold, I'm going to learn whether or not that's legitimately true or if it was just something that you or the other person said. Uh, to fill the space and make it very politically correct. Uh, oh, I've learned a lot in my life about, you know, but <laughs> um, we all can say that, but actually, you know, not so many people actually use their painful past lessons for learning how to better behave in the future. Um, and, and I think that that's really the challenge. So honestly, uh, if I had an affair in my last marriage and I'm dating someone, I would feel really uncomfortable and I would probably set a boundary with someone who inter in was interrogating me or interviewing me. So I need to know, have you ever had an affair? Uh, you know what? I'm really not comfortable getting into that part of my life where we haven't really gotten to know each other. I think I'd tell somebody, I'm, I'm really not prepared to talk about that, but if you need to keep going there, then maybe we should just go our separate ways. And I've actually had those conversations both ways. I mean, I've stepped over boundaries and other people have stepped over boundaries talking to me in dating circumstances. And it's not, uh, it's not good. And so learning the skill of that gentle brushback, I think is really important. But early when we're in a relationship, I mean, I'm talking small talk, first date, and some guy leans over and says, so do you want to go to my place? That's, um, that's a little quick. Now, I may be ready for sex, wanting sex, and all the rest, but going to a stranger's home, getting in bed, and possibly even falling asleep, which means closing my eyes with a stranger in bed, that's, that sounds like something could really go wrong. And, and I think there are a lot of reasons why we would all be better served with going slowly. I don't see any way around disclosing the most intimate, horrible failings in my life if 
I'm really interested in having a long-term intimate relationship because you don't set those up and then walk away from it. It's done. It's finished. They keep growing. And if my former wife knows that I had an affair and all of her girlfriends know that I had an affair and a few other people in the community who have no business knowing know that I had an affair, but my most trusted, most intimate partner doesn't know that I had an affair in my last marriage, that's a really awkward disadvantage that sets both of us up for some really painful social circumstances. So then the question is, at what point do you decide that this is the person who, you know, like you're saying, dating is a process. Mm -hmm. So you don't know on the third date or the fourth date or the fifth date or the sixth date that you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person, right? And so you keep back things. And so all of a sudden... Like they, they are, oh, we need to spend the rest of our lives together. You know, is that the moment that you tell them this terrible thing that you did? Yeah. Again, <clears throat> this, this might sound like a cop-out because there is no really great rule, but um, the responsibility is mine for asking myself, does it feel safe right now? And it, it's not just a feeling, but it's a, there's a, a cognitive process of judgment that comes into play. Have we been sharing at that level? You know, to profess that I find you incredibly attractive and, oh, boy, do I want to spend the rest of my life with you. That's not such a huge disclosure. It's a disclosure, but it's pretty well received most of the time by most people. But to say, um, you know, I'm really scared of marriage and of commitment in general because I've, I've really had problems with that in the past and none of them have ever really worked out. That's a bigger disclosure. And... Are we there yet? I mean, is it, have we laddered up our disclosures to get to that point where I could say something like that? Or when you tell me you find me attractive and you really like to think about spending the rest of your life with me, maybe I need to say, well, thanks. That's really nice of you to say. And then we go on with our date and it isn't, it isn't time now for me to give you all the good reasons why you shouldn't be with me. Right, right. Um, so on a related topic, um, I have a friend whose um, first husband cheated on her very publicly. Um, second husband is in, quote, federal fucking prison. Yikes. For uh, sex crimes. She has major trust issues. She has major trust issues. And one of those is that she has decided that she will never get married again, will never let a man alone with her children. Um and that's just the way it is. So that's something that she feels like sometimes she should just have a sign that says it. So on the first date, you know, a man knows she's not getting married again. He can't live in her house. He can't, you know, be around her children unattended. Big deal, right? That's a very big deal. Very yeah. big deal. Um, so big things to share. Obviously, you're not going to drop that on a first date, but is it kind of misleading to be with a man who may someday want to marry you. Again, I don't think I owe someone on a first date, second date, or third date that, that level of disclosure. Um, those are those are big things in my personal life that, they, although they may be public record, like my, my first husband's uh, pu rather public affair that was uh, notorious in the community, or my second husband having gone to prison, that's... You know, those are all really big deals, but 
and maybe they were reported in the newspaper, but that doesn't mean, and I'm ready to discuss those at the drop of a hat with just anybody who's expressing interest in me. You know, I do have a, another take on this too, and that's uh, for me, you know, it really is about safety. So if we go back to that definition of intimacy where it's the ability to share my life safely with another person, I do remember at some point telling a date, I don't think I would ever get married again. My first marriage ended so painfully that I don't really have the heart to ever go there again. And for the next 11 years, that woman just loved me, respected me, never pressured me. And for the last 11 years, we've been married. So, you know, we all heal up in rather unexpected ways because we don't know what the future holds. And sometimes we meet these magical, wonderful people who because they wage a campaign of ceaseless, unconditional love, we find ourselves and our defenses melting, and pretty soon there is no reason to not have a more intimate connection. Okay. So um, I actually lied when I said three. I lied to you, Steve. I have, I have four, so I have two more. Um, <laughs> Liar! So How can I ever trust you I again? know, right? But I told you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but because these are just very different from the ones that we've talked about. So one had, um, she had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So she has uh, physical um, scarring. She's had a mastectomy. She's had a mastectomy. So do you, I'm assuming you share that before you're naked? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd want the unveiling to be a big surprise. Um, but again, I, you know, I know that we Americans were pretty much willing to have sex at the drop of a pin um, with nearly anybody. I mean, we, but the problem I think we Americans also have equally is that we're unwilling to discuss sex with just about anybody under any circumstances. So I like to encourage people to, uh, to maybe bring up the subject by saying, you know, if we keep going the way we're going, it's possible we could end up kissing someday. And introducing the notion of physical affection and, and, and maybe if we do end up kissing someday, that um, to pause um, between kisses and say, you know, if we keep doing this, we could end up having sex. And, and, and of course, there is a, a later stage where if we keep having sex, the Baptists have warned me we could end up dancing. <laughs> it could lead to dancing. So... If we're going to have sex, I think that's a time for some before sex. Sex, I don't think, is supposed to just happen spontaneously out of the blue anymore. I think especially for those of us who are not wet behind the ears. We've been around the block a few times and we're not kids. And people who are of a certain age uh, also have STDs or STIs as they're referred to nowadays more commonly. Um, they have issues uh, like body issues. Um, I know men who feel really uncomfortable with their bodies who really need to talk to the woman they're with and to talk it through because if they're not comfortable having talked about it and if they can't bring themselves to talk about it, they have no business getting naked with that person, right? It just, it just stands to reason. And, we, and we've all got those issues. I mean, I don't, 
it, with the exception of a few narcissists in our in our circles, maybe we all have some insecurity about our bodies or our pasts or our ability to successfully participate in a in a future intimate relationship. And I I think that uh, what did our mother say? Uh, use your words. You don't have to just uh, do relationships by braille and, and turn off the light and let your fingers, you know, do all the talking for you. You can actually talk. And if we can't talk, I mean, if, if I'm with somebody who literally can't talk comfortably about sex, can't talk comfortably about intimacy and commitment, and then I really am with the wrong person, aren't I? I, I they're not quite ready, and I'm, I'm kind of like one of those hunters who's poaching out of season. I mean, this person what they what they heard was maybe you need a boyfriend or you need a girlfriend but what god was actually saying is no you need a therapist to talk about <laughs> having a boyfriend or a girlfriend so um and that and that actually leads really nicely into the fourth scenario wow um so thank you for that you're very welcome so um i have a friend of a friend <laughs> <laughs> So this is definitely not you. This is definitely not me. Um, none of these are definitely me. <laughs> so uh, she prefers an open relationship. She prefers, like, she's been in relationships, you know, always done that that way, has experience. So that's her background and her preference for the future. So that conversation, you know, when you're starting to get um, intimate with a person then telling them that you don't want them to be you know, your one and only. Right. Um, well, is it that control thing? I don't want you to be my one and only, or is, I just want you to know you're not my one and only. I think, it, and it's, it's, she doesn't want anyone to be her one and only. And I'm sorry to have to ask, but the therapist in me has to know. I mean, is it because of unpleasant experiences with being monogamous? And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, and it's, so it's hard to answer those kinds of questions sometimes when we don't know, but... Certainly, f the familiar is always preferable to the strange and the frightening, right? Um, and, and I think this is probably maybe a cop-out for you, but I think there's a podcast in the future um, just talking about monogamy because we as a species, we're not really very good at it. I mean, we, we may talk about wanting to be each other's one and only, but we men have something like a 75% failure rate at that. Women have about a 55% failure rate at monogamy. And so if we're talking about monogamy as an elective procedure, like a surgery, uh, with that high of a failure rate, most of us would say, no, I don't think I want that surgery. I think uh, if more than half the patients die, <laughs> I, think, I think I'll take a pass and just live with this mole that I have and, and not have it removed. Thank you very much. But I think monogamy... There, there's a real knack to it, and there's, there's a way to do it intelligently that's fulfilling and wonderful, and not some sort of procrustean bed where I get strapped down to this unyielding, rigid structure that doesn't work for me. So, talking about monogamy is for me, it's such a big topic, such an important topic, and it has so much to do with our happiness and our and our deep, deepest regrets. Um, would it be okay if we talked about this next time, Jackie? I think that's an excellent idea, Stephen. Okay. This has been Stephen Ng uh, talking with his friend Jackie. 
And if you have any questions you'd like us to talk about or some subject you'd like us to address, you can tweet me at MFT. This has been a production by Ing Intellectual in cooperation with Estepona Group. Interview by Jackie Shelton. Music produced by Octophonics. Editing by Lucas Pichelli. To listen to more episodes, visit stephening.com.